How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 185. I'm excited for this one, Zeke. I can imagine you would be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like every week. <laughs> yeah. Every week's a great show. Of course. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm excited. 185, and we didn't even do Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, we should have swapped the director's corners around. Yeah. Ah, that's okay. That's all right. Wait for two. Why didn't we think of that? Sorry, we could do two fifteen. Back in time. Two fifteen. Yeah, it'll be oh, Back to the Future yeah. too. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Think always think always a thinker, Zegers. That's me. How you doing, Jake? I'm good. I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm ecstatic. You're ecstatic. You know, you know, I feel. I feel like a Marvel fan, watching them announce phases five and six, which I can only describe as underwhelming. As, <laughs> Underwhelming for me, but as a as a Marvel fan, Zeke, mm. in this theoretical timeline where I'm a Marvel fan, it's orgasmic. That's how I feel. Do you watch these, like, whole H announcement things? And everyone's just like, oh, my God! Mm. Oh, my God! It's Ant-Man 3! Are, are they still doing that? <gasps> yeah, they did they, it. They like, still get that They did reaction? it a week ago, yeah. Okay. I did, they announced phases 5 and 6. So they're doing like Avengers Secret Wars, which I've heard a bunch of nerds talk about, but I don't know what that actually is. Yeah. And the Russo's been like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Well, we prob- might, we they, might talk about they, the Russo's. They probably should do that. Later in the show, I don't <laughs> Based know. Based on the reception of their <laughs> last couple of films. But no, the reason, Zeke, I feel like a Marvel fan in Hall H. I was telling you, my computer decided to stop working in the last week. And I was very worried because it could affect our podcast. Mm-hmm. But alas, I um I determined that it was my, my with my brother's uh, counsel, let's say that, mm. that we determined it was a Windows problem. So I instead of just formatting it, taking a loss and all my stuff, I was like, what if I roll back the update? And voila, worked like a charm, and we can record this podcast. But like you said, we there are backups. We have your laptop, and there's a few other ways. But so we wouldn't have missed out, Zeke. No. But nevertheless, I still feel comfortable with my, my setup. It's all about Jake's comfort on this show, Zeke. Well, before we jump into, well, at least exploring more things in your laptop on this show, Jake, do you have any trivia from the film of the week? I do, actually. Sideways. Um, yeah, so Sideways, is, uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. It's going to be a good film to discuss, but of course, one of the leads is Thomas Hayden Church, who was the only person in his audition for the character, the role of Jack, to strip naked. Which uh, <laughs> was indeed part of uh, the scene, and uh, <laughs> my guess is if you got the role, then the producers liked what they saw. So, kudos, kudos to him. That's uh, that is a way of saying it to the Sandman. I'm going to throw it over <laughs> to his co-star Paul Giamatti, ah, and obviously yeah. this film. I'm surprised. I was, you know what? I part of me almost wanted to be like, you know what? We're doing a film about wine tasting. Let's crack a bottle of wine and talk about sideways. Yeah. yeah. Um. But speaking of wine tasting, Paul Giamatti admitted to faking every bit of wine knowledge and not understanding why anybody (laughs) would care about it. He also claims he was shocked that he was uh, cast in the lead role and initially thought it was a practical joke. That's quite a a fair point, but we'll we'll talk about that second half of the show. Yeah, actually, are you well inversed in sort of the Paul Giamatti career landscape? Well, to be at this point in time, he was relatively sort of he was pushed he was more dead on the I only know him at to this point as uh he was in 
Truman Show, but he's like... Of course he is, yeah. He's yeah. basically sort of the only sort of character outside of Ed Harris in mm. the in the eye. Right, he's sort of like the right-hand he, he's man. Sort of like, yeah, he's kind of like a commentator guy. on... He's sort of the barometer for humanity in, in that office situation, but he's not even the main... He's only probably got... A little bit of screen time? Sure. I mean, less than five minutes. Because I read that as well, and I was like, I'm curious to see, like, at what point. Was this, like, a big career-turning film for him? Um, I think it, so. It, it must I have been. both. Yeah. Both Hayden yeah. Church and and um, uh, and Paul Giamatti. Yeah, yeah. Um, But we can talk about that. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get, um, I've got a few questions. Because all four of them, it's a quartet film. It is. Uh, we love them. It's been a couple of years, Zeke, but yeah. <laughs> we're bringing that back the year, quartet. though. I think you did Shirley so. two years ago around this time. Yeah, so. but that I mean, 2020 was the quintessential quartet year. I mean, you had Baby Teeth as well and all of that. There's definitely... But Jake, what have you caught? Knit Ram was last year. Week. Um, oh, well, before I get into that, Zeke. Oh, yes. There's a, there's a poster behind you. Mm. 1100 films you must watch before you die. Is Sideways on the poster? I believe so. It's actually not. That's fair. It's not on the poster. It's, and in, it's in Paul Schneider's 1001 movies to watch before you die. Oh, it is too. There you go. Yeah, and that's so. that's even less films. So it's all, it all depends on our taste, seek. But would this be in your? Um. This yeah, I think. I could take it or leave it. I reckon. I I reckon we'll see how I feel after at the other end of our discussion. I definitely don't think it's a bad film by any stretch of imagination. I'm just wondering. I still need to weave through it in my head. How important this film is. Not well, not a question of its quality, but how important is it? To that's the landscape? what this show is for. Yes, I like it. What about you, Zeke? Was it on your? Personal? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. Cool. I think, um, and we can dive into it. But I think this is one of the best buddy road trip films out there. Mm. Um, and one of the best buddy road trip comedy films out there. I think. Yeah. Um. And there's there's a lot of aspects. I've I've watched this film maybe four or five times and loved wow. it every single time okay. I've watched it. It's a very enjoyable, easy to watch film. Sure. Yeah. So we can dive into it. Mm. Um and but before we jump there, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? Um, I haven't seen much. We did um we had Andy's monthly movie night. We watched Super Mario Brothers, which um I actually only watched like a year ago. Not mm. even that long ago. And I still stand by the fact that if it was called Bill and Ted and not Super Mario Brothers, this film wouldn't get anywhere near as bad of a rap as it actually does. Because it's so inventive and crazy. and the- We were laughing about this. Because there's so many, like, crazy set designs and-, and production design with costumes and makeup and the- these wacky things. And we are sort of laughing about it being Blade Runner. If it was actually the, the production designer or the-, or the set designer of Blade Runner who actually did work on this film. And to my Bill and Ted comparison, it was indeed co-written by Ed Solomon. So I think a lot of us were quite on point with those comparisons, mm. but not as bad as people make it out to be. It's such a fun film. Also watched a bit of Faulty Towers, 1970s uh, British sitcom. A lot of fun. Yeah, so of course that comes from the uh, Kirsty Britbox collection. I really got to get Britbox. I, I think streaming is sort of going in that way where streaming services need to be super specific. Yeah. Like it needs to be one that just does docos. Or one that just does British comedies or TV shows. I think mean, I mean, we're starting to lean... Or um, is it Shudder? That's like the horror one. Mm. I think we're sort of leaning towards those more specific services that people are going to start getting into. But no, I quite enjoyed it. It's co-written by uh, John Cleese and... Cleese? Cleese. Cleese? John Cleese? 
and Connie Booth. So they're writers and they also star as some of the yeah. fictional staff of this uh, hotel. So the Faulty Towers is the name of the hotel. And it, I've only saw the one episode, which I really enjoyed, where they have to deal with this very rude, partially deaf old woman who comes in. Like, I wanted a room with a view, even though there's this gorgeous view. And it's just like classic British 70s mm. humor, which I found quite funny. And, and then being very sarcastic and angry at each other. I, I dug it. I want to watch. There's only like 12 episodes. No, it's, 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 it's only three seasons, yeah. Yeah, so it's very... British humor is quite shortly. I mean, I mean, The Office is two seasons, the British version. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely go through those as well. As um, I mean, I love the goodies. I want to I rewatch all the goodies. And then I got my plebs uh, box set over there, which I bought to my left, mm. as you can see. But, um, yeah, other than that, I, I did watch one other thing that more so relates to our Director's Corner discussion. So I can throw it back to you if you want. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll only touch on... Um, I... Mm. Um, we had a only managed to catch two things during the week. Sure. Uh, uh, Lucinda and I caught uh, Eurovision. Oh, I saw that. Uh, yeah, on, on, you gave it a two and a half stars. Yeah, I think. Look, um, there's some funny <laughs> moments in it. I don't think sure. it's probably by far not even remotely close to Will Ferrell's best performance. It's Rachel McAdams does. They both. Everyone does their job. It's fine. Yeah. It's pretty harmless. It's a bit of a brain-dead comedy sort sure, of film. Yeah. I'm not offended by it or anything like that, so I don't have too much to add to that. The other thing I did have, though, mm. was a, a mini-series that has been oh, added. Oh, I saw this. We, is... we teased it last week. I didn't catch it myself, but... Uh, I did. Yeah, you did. I most handed uh, from Rob Miller, the most hated man on the internet. This is the only thing that's logged under him on... Uh, Letterbox, I don't uh, know. He probably does a lot of TV then. if Because yeah. this is still like a kind of a mini-series. It's what, two parts? Uh, three. Oh, okay, three. Three, but right. it could have easily been two. For um, sure. Which yeah. is where we dive into sort of talking about it, which basically it's about this, um, you know, in the early early 2010s was there was this website called Is Anyone Up? And basically mm. this whole... Uh, investigation and exploration of a person that created basically a revenge porn site where right. exes could put up illicit photos. And to be honest, it oh, the first episode is definitely the strongest. It's the one that hooks you in. Sure, We Get watched it all in one sitting, so maybe there's credit there. Um, the fact that we watched the whole series... Right, third episode very much. It, it had that point where it was. It had my. It had the fire effect for me where it was mm. two, two thirds. Oh my god, this is jaw dropping, and then yeah. the fallout's always very underwhelming. And obviously, this mm. is a documentary series, so sadly, they can't all fabricate of these, an interesting oh, third act. <laughs> all of these horrible people often don't get their dues, right? Um, and I think Tinder Swindler did a really good job at this pacing. That sure. was one of its. When I was and that really was a, that was a feature, wasn't it? That was it was a, a feature documentary. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think two hours was that. Whereas this is 162 minutes. So, sure. to be honest, the characters you're following are the especially the more centralized characters, like um, uh, the mother of one of these daughters that mm. uh, was targeted on this on this website. And it turns out, so we discover very early on that not all of these photos were put up by users. Um, mm-hmm. some of them were through scamming prof, like going right. to people's emails and finding these photos and stuff. And I think the interesting thing is what, what we're actually, what it uncovers is it sort of shows even in just 10 years, 
how much more aware we are of this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm talking to you before the show about IT, IT literacy and how mm. we might have lost it in areas where, like, functioning a laptop, yet our social media awareness is probably at its all-time peak. Yeah. So... I'm with you in the sense that, like, we won't get too specifically what we're talking about, but I think we are seeing a generational gap where we're almost sort of assuming a generation is technologically literate when they're not. Yeah. And um, I think we might start to lose that awareness, but I think right now we're in sort of a sweet spot. Yeah, and I I think what is so important about this is this series really brings that gravitas of... um, basically the ramifications that this sort of thing can have and and mm. there's a mix like there were some of the um the people that were subject to this website you feel way more sympathy for like the yep. ones who had had their stuff hacked and yep. then publicized like and how it affected their jobs and their livelihood and their mental health and then there were ones that were sort of caught in the culture of it because it created this whole subculture of like real anti-establishment subculture yeah and there's some really interesting themes that are being explored there. It just loses its it loses a little bit of its steam in the in the third act when things are sort of uh, basically coming to its end. And yeah. I, I definitely found it petering a little out. Um, but it, overall, I don't think it overstays its welcome. Like 180 minutes probably could have been cut down to 150. But then you either have yeah. a really long documentary or a really nice tight series. So I think right. the, the three episode series formula serves it better than making it a okay. two-and-a-half-hour documentary, for instance. Because there's enough content to justify two to two-and-a-half hours. Right. Just three was just a little too much. Because there'd be times where you were like, okay. It was all... Yeah. But maybe it was showing... I think maybe what it was showcasing was just basically how slow, like, judicial system was. And basically how... What Lucinda and I were talking about, which was mm. really interesting, was how... A lot of these laws that now exist now, from a constitutional point of view, about like I like ICT awareness, safety, rights, and responsibility, have all been brought in really only in the last five or six years. Whereas ten years ago, when we didn't really fully grasp the gravitas of the internet, because put yourself in twenty two thousand nine to two thousand eleven shoes, YouTube's only been out for two three years in terms right, of mainstream yeah. culture. Facebook's only been out for two three years, right. so. And it's weird to put ourselves back in that mindset and how many of these laws had to be created because people were subjugating the system and, yeah. and putting these... like inherently, I mean, The internet was just a complete Wild West for a And for that, a long that's time. what they sort of talk yeah. about, this Wild West, where it's like this website was allowed to exist and he actually wasn't doing anything illegal until someone found out that he was scamming emails. And that's right, where it became illegal. So he wasn't busted on the fact that these so people <laughs> were willing to post these things, affect people's livelihoods, mental health, and stuff like that. It yeah. was because he was hacking into emails. That's what that he got done for. It's, it's like um, minor spoilers for BoJack, but it's like him getting arrested um, for putting the Xerox company name to shame as opposed to you know manslaughter. <laughs> that's what the, That was the mm. rap that got him... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they got him legally, yeah. And, it, and it's truly... You're sitting there and you're just baffled by this, like, how does this... Like, how is this website allowed to exist? No issue. But it's basically because users put the photos up so there's no ownership on the website owner. Right. The way, and he's, like... He's a very public figure. He's going out and he's like, I don't care. Like, what are you going to do about it? Like, in fact, yeah. he's egging it too and it just didn't... It was it makes you want to hate him. Oh, and this man. he was the most detestable person. Like, he puts, like, <laughs> Carol Baskin to shame. <laughs> um, 
or um, what was his name? Joe. Joe. Joe Exotic. Joe, Joe Exotic. Exotic. Yeah. Something like that. Probably <laughs> <laughs> Tiger King's only a year, a couple of years back now. Yeah. Well, season two came out a while back, and oh, that was a year ago. I haven't seen it. Yeah, me oh, neither. I'll have to give it a watch. Um. Yeah. I don't know how. I feel like it would have blown up again if it was as crazy mm. as the first season, but. Well, I, I would not. argue the first season has the same. That season of uh, of um. Tiger King. Tiger King has the same problem. The first, like, three, four episodes, you're like, whoa. Yeah. And then it gets to about five, and you're like, mm. Like, when he's I running mean, for yeah. office, like, and it just becomes <laughs> this almost memeable, like, you were like, I okay, mean, a lot, it was, a lot of it was still interesting, but I think you're right. I think most docos now, and I even think of Don't F With Cats, a lot of them just overstay their welcome. Yeah. They never quite end right before you really want it, like, oh, my God, I want more of this. You kind of get to the point where, like, oh, I'm ready for it to end. Yeah. There's still an episode left. Yeah. Like, uh. Charlotte Laws, she's like the main, she's the mother. Of okay. One of these, and she is just like, she's... A gun? Oh, she's, <laughs> she interviews well. She's just a fantastic sort of driver of the story. Yep. And everyone around her just sort of like checks in, but it's really nice to see a document. And this is the other thing. So, you know, you got the other side of it where his name's Hunter Moore. So he's the most, hand- he's this guy who owns this website. Yeah. Gets offered, apparently he was offered to be interviewed for it and then pulled out at the last minute. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like, God, how cool would that have been if we got to see both? You know, yeah. one of the beauties of Tiger King, why it works so well is because you've got Carol and Joe Exotic. Yeah. Like you've got both of them duking it out and saying horrible things about each other. And it's sort of like, that's the best part is like you, when you're giving the illusion of objectivity, that's when you're hitting that peak documentarianness. Mm. Unfortunately, you know, and to be honest, he could have just gone on camera and just sounded like a complete nutcase or a sociopath. Sure. But it still but would have been more intriguing. Aim, yeah. yeah, and that aims that most hated man on the internet. And yeah. it just would have created that extra essence. But you can't do too much about that. From no, me. exactly. Like, you can't... I don't think you can really just straight up lie. It's the same I mean, problem. The thing with Tiger King is, like, you could... You know those characters. You know yeah. Joe Exotic so well. I was like, okay, well, he clearly thought that this was going to be a good idea. Yeah. to have a documentary made about it. He did not for a second think of how it could negatively affect yeah. him. And I think for the kind of subjects that documentaries actually do get to nab, a lot of them do have that mindset of like, okay, well, this could reflect badly. I mean, I should think twice about doing this interview or doing this film, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it's just the ego that, that plays into both of them. They yeah. love being on camera. They love talking about exactly. like, their stuff. And to be honest, it would have been fascinating to see him. It's mm. the same thing in Tinder Swindler with the sure. with the guy in that who's doing all the Tinder swindling. Imagine him being on camera and getting him to talk about some of the things he's he's trying to justify, and it, then yeah. try and not only justify it, but like actually hear some of the stories of, of like the ex, like regularly let him. And to be honest, it it was yeah, it was a pretty. I would actually still recommend watching it. It's a fun sure. watch. It's, it's I still want to watch it. It's yeah. got a nice. Nice. Um, it has. It definitely is taking. It almost has become because of fire. The way mm. fire shoot shot its. Did it seem, seem to take inspiration oh God, from that? It's, yeah, hundred awesome. percent. It's been influenced so heavily by it. Yeah. Um, fire is one of those films that we like. If we had just started this podcast two or three weeks earlier than we did, that would have been. It would have been like that. Jim and Andy searching. It would have been a few films that made the what list. Fires fire. Am I? Um, I think it's rated M. Yeah. Oh, do you, oh, I know, I know what I know why you're asking that question. That's exciting. Anyway, um, yeah. what else have you caught? Oh, well, like I said, the only other thing I saw was a, a film you 
loved tremendously is like, I saw The Descendants. I know, and I saw your grade for The Descendants. <laughs> <laughs> I still gave it a positive score. Look, I think I'll I'll talk into this, and we can sort of segue this into our film of the week. Although, before we um, skip career updates, I do want to give a, a shout-out to a software I found called EB Synth. Uh, which is essentially uh, a rotoscoping animation software where you uh, provide essentially the video with the subject, mm. to say like a moving person. You create an image sequence out of that and then use Photoshop or something to draw over one frame. And you sort of have to pick your best frame and create your mask. You sort of have to do a little bit of the work, but the idea is you do it for one frame and then this software, EB Synth, will pretty much look at your um, art look at the video and, and it has to be an image sequence, but it will essentially create a rotoscoped animation of that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. And I played with it and it's pretty cool. Like oh, yeah? it seems really accessible and really cool. If I want to make like a two minute animated film, I don't think that would be that hard with this. So I wanted to give it a bit of a shout out before we, you know, skip those career sections. I don't know if I should talk about descendants in context with uh, our director of the week. You could give you like initial thoughts. Okay. Okay. Well, I think I'll talk about the film itself because half of what I want to talk about is to do with Alexandra Payne's um, sort of style and sort of some of the directors that I point to in terms of his amalgamation of their styles. But the actual film itself, uh, essentially, I mean, you you know it, of course. You love this film. It's mm-hmm. obviously George Clooney's sort of this uh, father and, and, and family man and he descends from a family who owned this big block of land that they're sort of on the verge of selling. Yes. So between that and his dying wife, who's sort of bedridden, and a lot of the film takes place around him having to uh, pretty much prepare for life afterwards and, and tell the family, inform them. And um, there's a lot of themes of there of, and I took the quote, everything has its time, which I think that's definitely the sort of the through line quote of this film in regards to uh, the land that their family owns, but then also the time with his two daughters that he has to build that relationship. And there's so many secrets about the marriage and the, it, there's a lot of great stuff in there. And I mm. thought the script is really great. I thought there was this, Little nice nods. I don't want to spoil it too much, of course, but the way they deliver information in a certain order really helps with some of the driving questions where you know an integral piece of information about their marriage Mm -hmm. and specifically something she did to him unknowingly. And the fact that they give you that context right at the front, it creates all these driving questions of not only is he telling the family about her impending death, but, you know, will he crack and sort of ruin her reputation and reveal this big secret that would otherwise tarnish her her image and mm-hmm. a lot of clever things they they invoke simply by revealing that information earlier. There's a lot I like about it. I just frankly wasn't that engaged with it. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I saw. It's interesting I, that mm. you were engaged with Nebraska, but not Descendants, because I feel like they're more right. of the same ilk. They're definitely more the same ilk. I mean, some of the styles that I think of Alexandra Payne, we'll get into in a minute, definitely stems from this film and Nebraska, like these two in particular. And what I think about with Nebraska, not to say that most Alexandra Payne endings, are, the ending to Sideways is fantastic. I mean, the ending to this film is, is fine. Um, it's a great shot. That's sort of what it says about George Clooney's character and how mm-hmm. far he's come, the relationship with his daughters. But I thought the ending to Nebraska was just so perfect that it kind of helped re-engage me in the themes of the film and the idea of, of this old man and sort of almost indulging in a lot of... And I haven't seen Nebraska in ages. We did it on the podcast many, many moons ago. Episode 16. Jesus Christ. I was <laughs> we're almost at 200 now. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think for me, I think Nebraska was sort of saved with that ending where it really sort of clicked me what the film's about. And it's not that I don't know what The Descendants is about, but it just felt very, um, the pacing was quite loose and carefree. And yeah. And I think I was surprised to see that considering how much you really love the film. Yeah, I think the reason I really like the film is I think it's Clooney's best performance. Um, yeah, it's it's a standout performance. He's great in it. I think it's pretty hard. I I would be pressed to say Danny Ocean's the only time I ever think that he might come close to right. it from a cinematic performance to be, and in that it's charisma and 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 charm sure. and caper. Whereas this, we really start to see a bit of that emotional depth that he yeah. can bring. And I've never seen ER and ER's television, and, and okay. he was very compelling. I heard on ER, but I think the scenes like when he's in the hot, like the hospital room with mm. his wife, and he's just like lashing out at her. Oh, it's I just I'm blown away. At Basically, a verbal punching bag. Um, and it's such a powerful scene for what it's saying mm. because he's yelling at you know a, like a. A dying a, a person, corpse, essentially. Yeah. Yet, we we kind of get why he's doing it, and yeah. he's uh, and it and it's the convergence of pressure on on a character who's been very complacent in his life mm. and quite cynical and yeah, passive, floating through life, and, and despite well, the we'll talk about the passive, floating through life characters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Will Forte is the same in in, yeah, in yeah. Um, Nebraska as as Giamatti is in Sideways and mm. including. What I like about, particularly what Sideways, and we can, I mean, we probably could hold off on some of it for the, the second part of the show, sure. but what I like... We'll have to throw in the trailer like at some point. What I like about, to say, what I like about <laughs> say Descendants is quite simply um, looking at that sort of taking a, a divine and, and beautiful place that's filled with happiness. Yes, and, and making it cold and damp and dirty. Yeah. And the way they portray uh, A place where Hawaii. people take holidays. Yeah. Yet. That was quite nifty. It reminded me of sort of Tangerine, how it's like LA during Christmas. And it's like, you, you imagine Christmas in such a snowy specific way. It's like, oh, but it's LA and it's sunny. You know, it's, you the, it's the opposite of what science fiction does. It takes yep. an ordinary world and puts a person in an extraordinary circumstance where we're going to an extraordinary world and we're making it very ordinary. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think that that's, that's really quite nifty with what uh, yeah. does. But we can talk more about pain style and delivery in the second part of the show. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, we can jump into that right now. No worries. Like. Well, it's time for us to move into our <laughs> film of the week and our latest director's corner. Jake, who's the director and what are we watching? Of course, if you just skip to this part of the podcast. <laughs> you might. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. People don't need to do that. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> Alexandra Payne's Sideways. <laughs> Today. Um, yeah. 
Why did you tell them that my novel was being published? You've been officially depressed for like two years now. We're gonna go have some fun, Miles. Do you remember fun? If a woman finds out how I live, and I'm not a published author, any interest she has is gonna evaporate real quick. You guys should stay for the weekend. No, we have to get back for the rehearsal dinner. What rehearsal dinner? told you some story, but I didn't. I told you the truth. I spent three years trying to extricate myself from a relationship that was full of deception. I am not Jack. Two middle-aged men embark on a spiritual journey through Californian wine country. One is an unpublished novelist suffering from depression, and the other is the only days away from walking down the aisle. Do, 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 do. So, Alexander Payne, our latest director's corner. So, yeah, we can pretty much pick up where we left off with your descendants. Um, yeah, well, the, the the wider sort of themes I was going to talk about in terms of different directors and sort of bits and pieces he's taking from them. I think immediately of like Richard Linklater, there's mm-hmm. like a slice of life feeling to it. There's obviously very naturalistic dialogue. There's a bit of that going on, but then I feel like he's also taking like, I would call it the narrative spontane- spontaneity or spon. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Spontaneity. It's yeah. Spontaneity. That's a fine. Spontaneity. Yeah, spontaneity yeah. is the pronunciation I was thinking of. Uh, of films like almost famous and 20th century women where it's like, you never really quite know where the narrative is going to go. And I feel mm. like m- mashing those two styles together was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely apparent of, um, well, Descendants in Nebraska, but of Sideways as well, where this feels, this doesn't feel like a film that came out in 2004. Well, it, it is interesting you say that mm. because, you know, even looking at the start of the show, looking at trivia, and you've got director Krista Christopher Columbus, right, okay. who points out, he said when he watched the film, he's like, it feels like a 70s film shot yeah, in 2004, which I can buy because, you know, you take something like um, Easy Rider, Easy Rider, yeah, I was 1969, that, yeah. and obviously they're a little bit more like ambiguous as characters. And, there's a um, bit more of a through line in a plot. Um, whereas, whereas this one, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a, there's a goal, but it's two characters inherently hanging out and developing we really start to see the the organism that is their relationship and their yeah. dynamic. And I think what's interesting is it has a bit of that, and I would say when it, it to build on that, not only that, it has the essences of Woody Allen in it. Yes, I literally um, wrote in here, Woody Allen as well, question mark. I haven't seen enough of his films yes. to authentically much, say that. Much like a fine wine, we are taking a sniff, ah. checking the palate, and finding out what's actually contained within... <laughs> and that might be the smoothest line I've ever said on this show. <laughs> um, you heard so, it here, folks. It doesn't get um, any better than that this. That was like radio announcer worthy. Um, yeah. No. Um, Are you sure um, Paul Giamatti's character didn't write that? <laughs> oh, it had a new ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, I think what's interesting is, and I say that because obviously Giamatti's character very much undergoes a, a typical Woody Allen-esque character. He's neurotic. He's... <laughs> constantly spouting and he, yeah. he like he always thinks he's the smartest person in the room sure and he's often paired with a character that's naturally perceived charismatic but a yes. bit dumb yes yes and their dynamic is almost 
sort of iconographic of that, mm-hmm. of, the, of a classic um, New... But instead of the backdrop being New York City, it's the Californian uh, wine country. Right, which yeah. It's kind of nice, isn't it? Nice? I think one of my favourite things I already like about the film off the top of my head is like, oh, it's set in California. We're going to see a lot of LA. LA has maybe, what, the first 20 minutes? And sure, yeah. You're it's out not of very LA long. and then you're into, into wine country. You know? Yeah. I like that we still go on that road trip side. Mm. We don't just skip to where, oh, they're already inbound to wine country. You yeah, know? you sort of feel that journey. And you, you generally feel the distance throughout mm. the film. You feel that, okay, they're definitely removed from the environment the film opened with. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I definitely appreciated that. And like you said, I think the... Uh, it's funny because I was talking to someone earlier today and they're like, oh, what film are you covering today? I started explaining what Sideways was and I realized how quickly, when I describe these two characters, they sound like such archetypes. Like, oh, you got sort of the, the depressed writer who's you know really smart and loves his wines and you got sort of the, the doofus actor friend but he's more charismatic. And it's like, it feels so easy to put them in boxes like that. But especially for, for Miles, for Paul Giamatti, it's... There is so much more going on with those characters that I don't even think they themselves are self-aware of a no, lot of the time. No, and yeah. I, I think one thing you... Once again, it comes back to that grounded realism side mm. is these are two characters that we're very confused as to where their um, relationship originates from, yep. where um, sort of understanding why they're still friends because for the most part, yes. they're, 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 they're quite... Like oh, like they they they're not willing to they're not like other people that will stay away from like the touchy subjects. Like Hayden Church's character immediately just goes, "Oh, you're hungover. You were late because you were hungover. So don't yeah. lie to me. You can't lie yeah, to me." Yeah, so close, so comfortable. Yeah, and yeah. it's and so you know like and then you got Miles who's constantly you know calling out basically the indecencies of oh, I always forget Hayden Church's character, um, Jack. Oh, Jack, Jack, yeah. Yep. Like, you know, Jack, who's obviously going Jack on built. this stag weekend and all he can care yeah. about is basically getting laid and yeah. and cheating on his soon-to-be bride. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, neither of them stop each other's bad behavior or actually they try and help each other, but they don't ever condone that behavior enough to ever intervene. Right, like, yeah. Which, again, it's like it kind of goes to that. Respect, even though they, I think, I think um, Miles does mention at some point. He says it to Maya when he's, and the line is sort of purposely addressing what you said. Is we don't really know, you know, why they're still friends. We've known they've been friends since I guess something about college football or. I so, think they both just went to college together. Exactly, and and that's a perfect answer to be like that that's that's how we know each other and it's been what 20 years and, and we're still friends and we probably, don't even yeah they're yeah. probably in the same art because obviously jack's a of an a, a famous tv well was a f- famous tv actor right now he's doing like, voice work and which is apparently another one of those nifty little things hayden church was gonna quit uh, acting yeah. and go into voice acting because obviously he does have a very voice actor commercial yeah. voice he's got a great voice yeah. Um, and <laughs> he kind of delivers in that, 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 that way. And it, it it's such an interesting dynamic because you look at the two and you go, oh, one of them is really attractive conventionally. And mm. then you've got our protagonist is this middle-aged slot. It's Paul Giamatti looked middle-aged for 20 years. Like in private life, he looks exactly <laughs> the same age. They really uh, sell it with the, um, the balding head. I mean, that's how they really sell it. I wonder how old he is right now. I reckon he's way older than we give him credit for. Like, I reckon he was, like, maybe late 30s in this film, and it's obviously been... Now he's, like, 60? 
Yeah, I reckon he's in his 60s. Let's see. Um, Paul Giamatti. He is... Oh, he's 55. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so, well, yeah, about 37, 38 when yeah. he shot sideways. Yeah. He looks so about, that's, that's looks a bad... Exact, to be fair, he looks the exact same in private life. So it's credit yeah. to him. And we got to mention that, the fact that th- this is sort of a full circle moment for us because private life was episode one. Yeah. It's been nearly... 184 Four episodes. years and... Yeah. Uh, and Wow, and, and it, I think it, their dynamic is, is really funny, um, and it works really well. And immediately, you just you order, you always love. I from the get go, I love how awkward the film is, where it's like, oh, well, we start with like, oh, it's a, it's a is it a Friday? I think it starts on the Saturday. Saturday. I think it's it's Saturday through to Saturday. Yes. Which to that point, before you move on from that, I. I mean, I'm I'm totally fine with the you know the the legend like okay day one day two day that kind of mm-hmm. linear structure. I'm kind of glad they didn't go down the route of starting the film like in media res with oh the naked man is chasing them down the street. How you're probably wondering how we got here. They yeah. <laughs> they don't do any of that. They they purely focus on this linear, uh, very clearly structured timeline of here's like an eight day story. Yeah, and we're gonna break it up for you into, I guess, like two to three days per act. And every day has its it own uh, importance to it. They're sure. really like, you know, the first day sort of introduces us to Miles' stagnant life. The fact yep. that it takes them nearly a whole, it takes them a whole day to actually get on the road because, yeah. you know, they're not only he having to collect Jack from his very bougie like mansion house, then he has to sit through a quick tasting, has to kind of. <laughs> small talk jack's friends and and soon to be um step like yeah. uh, parents in law and well it's more just like everything's prior awkward. to that of him being like oh I'm, i swear i'm out the door now but then he but then he goes to the toilet then he has a shower then he gets his coffee he does his crossword driving like he's i mean it's part of this you know seemingly a passive lifestyle we talked about passive yeah. characters and alexandra Payne selfish films. and passive they're both- selfish and passive yeah but there's probably a sadder underlining feeling of like because he is you know a depressed man and he just feels like he's floating in life and and that that carelessness to starting mm. the day on time is the same carelessness you could argue he has for not knowing whether his book's going to be published or not yeah or him refusing to call this publicist or not the publicist but i guess like he's his agent I or, suppose. His, or his active avoidance to even remotely court a woman that's clearly into him sure like, yeah um and the type of character he is and like him for the traits that he's because he's so caught up with his um divorce that happened two years earlier yeah and he treats it like it's only just happened <laughs> and there's a, there's some but great, it's still painful yeah. there are, there's a great way with all of this conversational drama and, and use of uh, even just comical conversations at times how they how pain manages to layer in these like real important character points this character's mm. not mentally well and is in a serious rut in, in almost every aspect of his life and ha- needs serious help and needs needs to hit a, a real rock bottom, a real breaking point, mm. which you know, event- does eventuate eventually. But we're going to follow this sort of systematic his- hero's journey that's kept to a, sure, a good yeah. standard um, seven-day structure. And yeah, I just- well, even, even like the reluctance to the journey, you could apply that to the part of the journey where it becomes the quartet it becomes mm. about Stephanie and, and Meyer. And that could be the aspect of the crossing the threshold. He doesn't initially want to do not so much the actual road trip itself. So you can totally squeeze in the hero's journey in that story. Absolutely. And that brings fun. us to uh, Virginia <laughs> Madsen and Sandra. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, fantastic. 
yeah, it's a great it's a great quartet. Yeah. Um that initial um dinner that they all have together says so oh, much. Really it's a great example of a of a montage of, of sort of a slow descent and the use of crossfades mm. and, and very uh, very subtle sort of body language being done in that in that whole scene, which is ends up being really quite effective. Yeah, I don't want to jump too ahead into spoiling my highlight scene, but what I love about that scene so much is the isolation that it immediately depicts where you have um, Jack and his girlfriend, yeah, Miles and his girl's frame separate. The conversations they're having are so, like, within their own um, frame. They're not talking to each mm. other. I, I made sure to check. I'm like, pretty sure that whole montage, and I think after the phone call and after those scenes, um, they do have wider shots, but otherwise there is no wide shot of all four of them together once that montage starts and once they start no and the, and the only in. time and then we actually start to see madsen's character maya start to cross into it, it almost it becomes isolating completely miles by himself yeah. as he gets more intoxicated and we start to see him like it starts to cross it, in the the numbers being punched into the phone and yeah and it's just that His real easy frames, way of going yeah. like we're creating there's unity in this frame at the start and then we're going to create that disunity there that miles is clearly like not well, not able to police yeah. himself. The more he gets intoxicated, then he gets into back into his own head, yeah, and he has to make that phone call. That's another thing as well. I was reading that the even though they never actually discuss what the term sideways means in the film, the the book that this is based on apparently it was sort of their own term or analogy for getting drunk or getting intoxicated. Yeah, so I, I guess that makes sense. I thought it was like a you know a sidestep in life or, or going sideways in life. I think it's got a it lot of opening both. meanings to it. For sure. sure. I mean, yeah. to be honest, both of our male leads are having some form of identity crisis that Jack is actually struggling with growing up in terms mm-hmm. of his age. And, yep. you know, he's got these younger women throwing themselves at him, but he can't keep up anymore. And, yeah. and I think there's that identity crisis, you know, he's, he's marrying this really attractive woman and, and they have a great rapport, yet he feels this need to act out yeah. because he feels like this is his, he keeps saying it's his last weekend of freedom and and until he hits his breaking point where mm. he's, you know, he, you know, not to go for too far ahead, but he's there breaking down in front of Miles. <laughs> well, it shows he's more sort of doofus but optimistic characteristic where Miles is not going to put up with it, but he's the one sitting there being like, oh, you know, I'll self-publish your novel. I'll put some money in and we can, we can run away and live here together and I can, you know, marry my new girl. And there's just, he has these blown out ideas that he can get away with just completely abandoning his old life after just a couple of days. Yeah. And I, and I think that showcases their difference. I like driving two completely. hours away from all, all of your quote problems. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's the, the solution. solution. Yeah. Not the other side of the world, just two hours away. Uh, that, that's all you need. You just you'd be surrounded by wines. Like, that's yeah. all you need. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, I actually found the relationship so Surprise, similar came to... came back from the Adelaide Hills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me a bit of... Um, we talked about 50-50 not that long ago. It reminded yeah. me a little bit of the dynamic there, especially... Sort of the uh, the the sex fueled analogy of one being a bit more sort of sex crazed or, or girl oh, than yeah. the other. There's very a bit of that point. in there as good. well. Obviously, Fifty Fifty came out years later. Obviously, and but... both both I mean, and both have a a, a form of terminal illness, and mm. both like Giamatti and Levitt's characters, um, both are hitting a point of having next to no sex drive right. and are in- incapable of due to their their 
terminal situations yeah. have the confidence. Mm. Now, you would also argue Giamatti has no body confidence, and and someone like Mai is not even is inconceivable for him. Like, sure, especially when like we actually get to see what his first wife, um, who was Michelle. Oh, you know what's funny? Uh, Victoria. Victoria. Played by Jessica Helch, I believe, who is in Breaking Bad. Oh, there you go. I was like, oh my God. And then of um, Robert Forrest is in The Descendants. So I was yes. like, there's all sorts of Breaking Bad cameos going on here. I loved it. Um, you know, and obviously yeah. when you see her for the first time, you're like, it's sort of the, like the last nail in the, oh, this is probably why he started to spiral because sure. there's that self-value problem, which Giamatti... Has apparently always had mm. it was even before Victoria. Like right. he he's been a very neurotic, clearly not mentally well character, and and Jack's always kind of been that that life preserver for him, and that's mm. sort of how why we understand this relationship because they both sort of hold each other to an account. One it's for their immaturity right. and infidelity, and the other one it's um you know because of his neurotic you know neurosis you know neurotic nature. Yeah, there is a um, sense of codependency. Oh yeah, and, and I mean, like, like we said earlier, sort of uh, not even self-aware codependency, and, it, and, it, and it's played for comedy, but it's also played for that that earnestness there—the fact that they have so many fights over the course of the week. Yep. Yet Giamatti's willing to sneak into a house to steal Jack's wallet <laughs> and still protect those, like still take all of those secrets from the weekend to his grave. Yeah. Not only that, and, and the only person he confides in leads to ramifications from Jack. But does Jack yeah. hold that resentment? No. Like, no. And then on top of that, it's like when they go have that dinner that is arranged by Jack because he's yep. trying to desperately. It still has that undertone of selfishness. He wants, of course, to, yeah. He wants to. Um, but there's still that underlying friendship of like, if oh, I'm gonna have fun, my friend needs to have fun too. Yeah, and it's like when they're outside the diner and the, he, the prep talk. <laughs> and he's like, if they're ordering Merlot, we're drinking Merlot, and then Giamatti snaps. He goes, "All right, no Merlot, like it's fine." <laughs> and it's just so funny because it's like Jack doesn't even entertain it. Like, oh, you're being a sook. He's like, nope, that's fine. Like he almost knows he pressed a button, right? And he's. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I feel like That's I have this dynamic of a relationship with right. some of my friends. <laughs> so, um, where they're almost like baby coddling each other. Yeah. Well, that, um, that's the other thing we've got to give this film credit for because it's like we can totally see like bits of our own lives in in both of these characters and the relationship. Yeah. But it's like there's such uh, the specificity of it is actually what I think makes it universal. Yeah. And I think a good majority of people would watch this film and sort of understand some of the intricacies of that relationship. Yeah, I mean the the wine stuff is such a it's such a back seat thing. It's a fun little Yeah. We don't we, need we, to talk about the wine in this film even though it's such an Yeah. It's, it's seemingly an integral part of their their yeah. trip and the and the story. When inherently all it really is is it's a catalyst to really identify my my Miles and Maya's uh chemistry with each other. Right. And then but you know the the wine is is the catalyst for them to talk about their marriages mm. that they had with their respective partners and how they're willing and how they how Maya built that road to recover and and how Miles is is sort of using doing through the same way. Yeah. Um. So the wine only serves as a catalyst to enable that conversation. And other than that, I mean, it, it's like it's mostly played up for comedic value. The fact sure. that that Miles thinks the wine that um. Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie is selling is kind of crap, yet Jack walks out <laughs> with 12 bottles worth of it. Like, it's funny. It's played more for humour than yeah. it's... Or, or when 
he's doing the whole like workshop of how to investigate the wine and and Jack's best thing is yeah strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um that I mean that's such a great that's I mean that's your first hint and the constant reminder throughout the whole film of how much you have the wine snob and then the the, the wine doofus if you will messed up it's such a perfect analogy of that um but it goes back to one of my favorite sayings i feel like i only mentioned this a couple of weeks ago but the idea that uh comedy is uh oh i really hope i don't screw this up but pretty much comedy is drama in a wide shot (laughs) i love that quote so much and this film really does play that balance of I, yeah. I was going to say, the perfect example is when um, Jack tells Miles that Victoria is coming to the wedding and got remarried, and Miles yeah. chooses to run down the hill. Yeah, and it's just this big wide, <laughs> wide shot, shot of these two little characters chasing each other, and it's funny. No, and that's such a perfect analogy of that. It, it really is. And yeah. I, I, you could argue Payne kind of does it perfect. He's actually almost done it, he nails it universally well. through his career, because... Yeah. Even, you know, and we both don't like downsizing at all, but downsizing is inherently trying to do the same thing. I guess it's maybe just doing, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to go, oh, well, there's this extraordinary thing where people can get downsized and get a lot Mm. more money, but at its core, it's still apparently got this um, drama, like it's inescapable drama. Sure. Um it does not hit any of the points that the other three films we've talked about. I'm not about even going to try and make sense of what downsizing is. It loses to do. its plot completely and almost maybe because it focuses so hard on trying to build like this science fiction lore, it completely loses the essence of what's so good about these other pain drama yeah. dramedies. Well, I think that's what, like I said, with the narrative spontaneity, 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 whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could go either way. It can go in the way of, you know, a film like this or The Descendants where you're like, I kind of don't, especially sideways, I don't quite know where we're going next, but I'm intrigued enough by the characters and, yeah. and the overall story of what's going to happen. It, Downsizing yeah. kind of does that, but you could not care less about anything that's happening. So you're just sitting there bored yeah. as it slowly turns into Arthur and the Invisibles. Yeah, <laughs> whereas, you know, you take, this is probably more closely equipped to something like Nebraska, which, yes. and or even Nebraska might be a perfect marriage of Descendants and Sideways put together, where mm. Descendants definitely leans more to the drama side. It's, it's giving yes. it, it's got that weight there. It's less... Um, it's not. Yeah. It's not funny. Like there's moments there's, of there's, humor. Yeah, little bits of humor, mostly from like character dynamics of like, oh look, the um, I forget the daughter's name, but like her her random guy friend is there as Robert Forrester punches him in the face. Like yeah. these weird little dynamics they create, kind of little Miss Sunshine esque. Yeah. That, that's where the humour comes in, but primarily it is a drama. Whereas this is definitely way more a comedy, and Nebraska kind of yep. sits that. Obviously, it's because you know they're like they're their father finds out he won a lotto ticket, but he clearly yep. didn't win the lotto ticket. So yeah. <laughs> it ends up being these real funny dialogues between Forte and Odenkirk or Forte, yeah. Odenkirk, and... Oh, what's his... Oh, Dern? Bruce Dern? Bruce Dern. Yep. Yeah, knows that three dynamic, or Dern and Forte. And, yep. And it ends up having more that side to it, whereas this is just pretty much funny the whole way through like i think it's, well yeah it's it, it finds that perfect you know close up and wide shot in terms of funny and and sad yeah because the the inherent which is much the, like the high and lows of drinking ah, too and, there and, and but there, there's that reflexive aspect there the fact that all of these revelations all of this drama and then these peaks and troughs of drama like yeah. the fact that we go from like jack being like 
um, like Jack and, and Miles having that scene where they chase through the vineyards and, and Miles yeah. gets starts swigging a whole bottle and yeah. we assume he gets drunk. Then he has a nap and they wake yeah. up and they go to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, so their whole really day is basically flow, like, yeah. oh, well, basically the morning was they got drunk, they had a nap, <laughs> and now they're going to dinner and drinking some more. Yeah. And it's it's like, well, yeah, that would be how one of the... As someone who has been on a nice getaway weekend in, like, wine country, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much what happens. <laughs> you go, you have drinks, you take a little rest, and then you go out and do something else. And it's yeah. like one of those things where it's like, yeah, so this is the peak and drops of drinking, really. Yeah. Like, and I, the yeah. hi- hyper-emotion swings, especially for a character that's suffering, like, a terminal, like, like a sorry, a... Uh, a mental health issue. Mm. I've been saying terminal, I meant mental health. And right. That sort of issue. Well, that's a terrible thing to be doing. <laughs> but Jack, it's, it's Jack, Jack only passively sort of helps. Like, right. when he thinks Miles is having too much, then he'll put the bottle up, but he won't stop him drinking completely. He won't no, intervene exactly. completely. It, it will get to the point. I mean, this is such a perfect analogy. They will let themselves get to the point where they're both covered in red. One in blood, one in wine. Yeah. By the time that um Stephanie finds out <laughs> Jack's infidelity, so good. that's great. But it's but even, not even just like the symmetry or the the visual. Um, I guess symmetry is technically accurate. But then both being covered in red, regardless yeah. of what the red originates from. But the fact that you're right, they both let each other. I mean, this goes back to the fundamental relationship of yeah, they they met each other in college and they sort of almost don't know how they're still friends in a lot of ways, other than just a lack of maturity. But they're still adults, and even mm. though they're making terrible choices, they're still going to let each other make those decisions. Yeah. To the, again, the point where they're both covered in red. I really, I really like that analogy. <laughs> Has this warmed you up to the film a bit? <laughs> no, it's look, it's a the writing, especially, and it did win best picture. Oh, best picture! It won the best original screenplay, which I actually kind of love that it did. It just to acknowledge just how fresh this feels. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think it's a film that. I think this is Payne's probably his strongest work. It's probably this and Descent. Okay. I think because it's just entertaining, and I, I think yeah. we often forget that a film like you know when you when you think at the time what would have come out, and it's like in terms of com like that comedy, that perfect like you said, the perfect marriage of comedy and drama and, mm, and such, the Woody Allen esque sort of. Yeah, and I mean we were on the precipice of getting similar well at least that same sort of emotional resonance and comedy in in something like uh Shaun of the dead which does have that there Obviously, okay it's a little yeah. bit more comical that's definitely a comedy with a surprisingly dark couple of turns yeah whereas this definitely mm. has that realism side to i it. think of like even punch drunk love yeah was within a couple of years of this film and that, yeah, that's a good example i Boogie think Nights it, it, even has that too, too yeah that's true yeah, yeah i do pity. like that comparison yeah, but it, overall, I think it's just a, like a really tight film too. Mm. It, it's fun. Yeah, it's funny. How many times? I mean, surely you laughed a fair bit. Oh, there, there's some great moments, but like like we were saying, the humor comes so much from just their dynamic. Yeah, like it's, it, it's perfectly not like they're casted. Telling, yeah. Oh my god. Because yeah. the reason why Miles' character is so compelling is because he's not conventionally attractive in like any way, shape, or form. No, but they don't. They don't play that necessarily to laughs. Like that that could explain sort of his inner turmoil and, and, and shyness, I guess. But it's like when he's talking to Maya, I'm not sitting there thinking like, Oh, she's so out of his league and that like from a from a personality standpoint, 
the way he's unable to engage in conversation, he's so down on himself. That is where that underdog thing comes mm. from. But, but I mean, the film is just mature enough, ironically, just mature enough. Well, I'm not sitting there be like, oh, well, she's never going to say to you, he's ugly as hell. Yeah, but it's, it's, it, it's I think the punch drunk love thing is such a valid point mm. because that's the same sort of effect that that gives off. That right. Sandler's character is not, he's just not the Hollywood attractive. Right. And when paired with someone who is considered the Hollywood conventional attractive, mm. who's, his whole life is a lot, like, even though he's, he's probably past his best years. Sure. It's still there. Yeah. And it's it's funny when you you know you bring up the Descendants and stuff. Clooney wanted to play Jack. I did read that. And yeah, that's, that's, that's so, so bizarre. That is so. I bizarre, couldn't imagine man. Clooney playing Jack. Yeah, because Jack's kind of a because now he's on the especially on the and it, it, he wasn't because he was too attractive. And mm. I believe it because yeah. to be oh, honest, Jack Jack is attractive, but he's not drop dead attractive. I mean, Jack Jack is only attractive when he can like keep up with it. When he's able to hold a conversation, and and it's I it, it just holds it's, that perfect. It's balance. vocal charisma over like oh my god from a distance like like yeah. You'd never see if this movie was made today. Chris Evans wouldn't play Jack. No, no, it would be someone who's, you know, kind of good looking, but like not not a charisma machine. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Right, but, but no, I, I I see your point, and it's like the fact that him being down on his to be own. Honest, Brad Pitt probably now could play. I was thinking of Brad Pitt just because I love again another sort like of quote I love. Brad Pitt we've got going right now could totally play yeah. a modern is, day. Is Jack. that Brad Pitt is a is a character actor in a leading man's body, <laughs> which I mm. that is such a great quote. Yeah. But to Paul Giamatti, like I said, he brings so much depth to it. Where when he start, he he does talk about wine. He's obviously such an enthusiast for it, and he has so much more enthusiasm of talking about that instead of like. When people ask him about his book and what's his book about and when's the book coming out, he just sort of clumps up into a shell. Mm. And I I like the the depth that he portrays with that because none of that's I don't think none of that is explicit without his performance. Mm-hmm. I think his performance makes it quite natural and and explicit. I think that this way. film is from a cinematic film feature film point of view. This is a hallmark in all four of theirs mm. their careers. Like yeah, well, Madsen O, Hayden Church, particularly Hayden Church and Giamatti. This is like, what's the best Thomas Hayden Church film? It's this film. Yeah. Oh my what's god. What's the best what's Giamatti this? film? Before Private Life, you could have said this. After, but then I could argue that I would say what to is it? Who's the, who's the co-star? Oh, um, oh, I'm forgetting a name in One Division. <laughs> oh, it is. Her. Oh, yeah, sorry. it's yeah. Well, um, like Catherine it. Hahn. Catherine Ka- Hahn. Catherine Hahn. That's it. I mean, them as like a as a as a duet, them doing a duet performance. I think that really stands out mm. on its own. And to be fair, I haven't seen him in Billions. Oh, I fair think. enough. Yeah, I imagine he's great in Billions. But I think from a to film your, point of view, to your point, this film not only does it take place only from the point of view of the two boys, and a good example is the dinner scene afterwards, where the girls they go to the bathroom. We don't cut to the bathroom to see what they're talking about. It's about we, the, we stay with the guys, yeah. and on top of that, whenever Thomas. Hayden Church has left, we stay on, on Miles. It, it film is 100% from Miles's perspective. So he is really the lead character in this film. Yeah. While with Private Life, you could argue it is a bit more of a two-hander in yeah. that film. So it's probably this film. Right. It probably is. Because uh, he, he gives a, a very believable performance. And Yeah. Yeah. He may not have known anything about wine, but boy, he fooled us, didn't he? <laughs> he really did. I have to ask about the ending, though. So the book has a different ending. 
And it it's pretty similar, but it essentially is that Maya has her revelation that after reading uh, Miles' manuscript, she actually physically attends the wedding and meets him there, and they sort of have their um, reconcile moment. While in the movie, it happens after the wedding. He's alone. He gets the phone call. He actively makes the decision to drive back into the into the country to to knock on her door. And does this? Would you say this is a better ending than the book, or would it make more sense for her to show up at the wedding? I kind of like the way the film. No, I think the way the film plays it out. Yeah, it, it feels a bit more realistic. Yeah. Like, she, Maya's not going to drive out to the wedding to proclaim her love after reading this manual. It kind of sends the wrong message to me. And to be fair, he's the, the one who really needs to make, make that, that effort. And that's the yeah. difference. Yeah. Because he no longer... Because then that completes his journey. Yes. He's changed. He's no longer blasé coming to late stuff or going to his parents. Uh, he's going to his mum to steal money. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, or, like, just sort of letting Jack get away with all of this like um adultery stuff he's now going nope i'm taking charge i'm taking ownership he's becoming no longer a passenger in his own life he's starting Mm. to take the wheel and him going to maya's house to knock on the door that's the first time he's not that's him making this decision on his own because maya initiates all the first moves when they they first like fall in like that love or have that relationship so he's still a passenger to it yeah she's still Basically, she just bends over backwards in order to get with him. Yeah. Finds this out. And only then, through that... Because he doesn't even really amend Fences with Jack because he doesn't need to amend Fences with Jack. Well, once Jack gets married, I I don't think he appears again in the film. And he doesn't need to. Because, like you said, at its core, it's about Miles. And... You can you can Jack, have the Jack expectation. And, Jack and Miles' relationship mm. was never going to fall apart because of this trip. No, there was no stakes with it. But that being said, I don't think it's a wrong reading to assume that their friendship is never the same again after he gets married. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that, we just don't see it. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I think, I mean, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like what Jack said. It's like we could very much see Miles moving to white country and yep. living out his life there. He mm. could be the one who runs away. Yeah. Just not collectively. So There you go. Which make all. which makes sense with the his denial of the idea of running away in the first place. He's like, That's absurd. Like we can't do that. But yeah. it is they have different scenarios. You know, I think Jack's now sort of he's in the marriage, he's in the family. Business and all that. Yeah. You know, and he got severely punished physically, emotionally over and over again on this trip for trying to abandon that life. Um, but no, I I agree. I think the ending makes a bit more sense. And I got to say, like even just that the way it, you know, him and again, like we've just spent this journey with this man, and you really feel that sadness. And the way they portray the relationship, they did it in such a way where I didn't actually expect Maya to come back into the story. Yeah. So they kind of tricked me into thinking that that really was going to be a non sequitur. Um, you know what could have been, but it does come back in and. You know, as much as I'm in a great place now and I'm in a great relationship, that scene and even just the way it cuts to like the dirty road is or the wet road as he's driving toward the house, like it really took me back to a place of like, man, this it portrays loneliness so well and so subtly, and I really love, cool. I really love the way it ends with that with that montage. What was your highlight scene? It's not that, believe it or not. Like, like I said, the the dinner scene is so fantastic yeah, because fantastically like, paced. Pace, like the, like we were talking about, the way it's montaged and shot, and so they're framed sort of as their own individual couples. But even the way it leads into the phone call and how 
obviously he's intoxicated and the camera's doing all sorts of trickery with the focus and the framing yeah. to put us, the audience, into the, the intoxicated mindset. The, the soft, fo- the ever-increasing soft focus. Yeah, and that and the fact that when he's on the phone, we're on a still, you know, locked-off tripod camera, or the camera's on a tri- tripod, but he's walking in and out of focus. The focus is not adjusting for his frantic movements as he's on the phone to his ex-wife and... Just like those subtle, I was like, "This is just so well done." All in camera too, which is yeah. that's that's a big plus. Yeah, they didn't digitally add a fairy in there, which you never, <laughs> I don't, you never know. Zeke. It's a great scene. It's yeah. a tough scene to 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 put up. I I think for argument's sake, I'll put a different scene. I sure, I'll, I'll I will give a shout as well to the the traveling montage on the Monday. Still pretty early in the film, just because it's totally where the inflatable montage from Better Call Saul Season 2 was inspired from. The sliding split screens, the funky music. It was. I'm like, this is so clearly what Better Call Saul was inspired by. Yeah. It was this scene in, in Sideways. But would, that's my shout-out. Yeah, I, I would have to argue that's a, that's a great scene. I really do like... There's some subtle scenes. Like, the first night we meet Maya, we get introduced to Maya. And one thing I really like... And it's just so really helps with the grounding of the realism of the world that we've got all this scenic, beautiful rolling hills and vineyards. Yep. Yet they're walking to this hitch called the hitching post, this bar on the on the side of the highway, and they're walking past car dealerships and they're just <laughs> chatting about like she was totally into you, and we really get an idea of this this dynamic. And it, not only when they're walking after they've been to the hitching post, but when they're walking towards it. Yep. Where they're basically just having these very non, you know, on the way there, Jack's talking about basically being in this business and and talking about that this this family at least they're accepting that I'm not Armenian now. Like yeah. it's like, <laughs> and, and it's just a really funny, like nice, nuanced scene. It's so yeah. just unflattering. Like sure. it just doesn't has no prettiness to it. It really is just two guys who are very we very grounds us on this this road trip mm. essence. Yeah. Um that we're in this world. That's a really cool scene. I I do like um that scene and just little like the little like the introduction scene to where Mars is explaining that the wine is such a funny scene. Or no, the it's a or great the scene, yeah. or the Victoria revelation with the running down the hill was just so <laughs> funny because <laughs> it's so once again it comes out it's unflattering but it's funny yeah yeah and which is such a woody allen-esque thing there's no flair it's just characters being immature children adults being immature yeah. children. i want to mention not really wes anderson e but there was a couple of shots especially in descendants where you get this like sort of close-up symmetrical shot of like um george clooney's face as he's having like an interesting reaction mm-hmm. to something and i was like this feels so like, i can see them doing fantastic mr fox and getting this shot for his fox head <laughs> i got a little of that now before we move on zeke of course alexandra payne directs corner yes. we talked a bit about you know nebraska and obviously sideways descendants Unfortunately, we did mention um, downsizing. I was really hoping we wouldn't <laughs> have to. But that being said, even though that was his last film, which is, what, five years ago now, yeah. um, he has indeed, earlier this year, they shot a new film. So he is directing another feature film. This will be his first time working again with Paul Giamatti since Sideways. So it's exciting. They've got another collaboration mm. coming up. And I don't know when it's coming out. The film is called The Holdovers. I think he plays like a, a despised teacher. 
and I'm not sure quite. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be good. So fear not, everyone. Alexander, he may come back after the downfall that was oh, downsizing. Well. Come back. I totally compare it to Chris Nolan in that I did not care for Tenet, but I'm still super excited for Oppenheimer. It's going to be a great film. Yeah. Tenet wasn't really that bad, though. Whereas it wasn't as nearly bad. as bad as downsizing, but still, like yeah. a, a fall from grace for a director, but... But despite that, I'm still excited for their next work. To err is human, Jake. For mm. every Spielberg, there's still Ready Player One. <laughs> Sideways is currently out on Disney Plus and in yeah. wide release. Speaking of Disney Plus, Jake, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week? Well, coming to Disney Plus this week, I'm surprised. Lightyear. That was what? quick. That was real quick. <laughs> See, okay, they don't this, care anymore. this is the problem. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to touch it. I'm not this is it. the problem. It's like, why would I even pay 25 bucks to go see Lightyear? I could have waited a month and it's yeah. like, God, it makes it so hard to get behind cinemas. Sometimes. I swear it's I really literally annoying. watched that. When did I watch that? I'm going to find out. Because I watched it pretty close to release. And I was generally excited to see Lightyear. I have mad respect for Top Gun, how long it stayed in cinemas. It's yeah. just like... Oh, well, that that's him just fighting. I saw it uh, the 17th of June. So it's been like a month and a half. I think that that's a forty-five day window. Not bad. Disney Plus is straight up on a forty-five day window now. That's a that's crazy. You're right. What's the point? Why go to cinemas? Bloody uh, four Love and Thunder will probably be out in two weeks. Hmm. And then I can watch easy. that disappointing film. <laughs> what else we got? Oh God! Coming to stand, we have Drive My Car, which I'm very excited to finally get down on. Uh, School of Rock comes to Netflix a little late. We could have done with that a couple of weeks ago, but could have never, never mind. We, Wait, what was it on? Was it on I saw it on Stan, I think. Okay, but I've also got it on a DVD, so I might. I can't remember to be honest. It's been so long ago, Zeke. <laughs> those mm. those two weeks coming to binge. You have the Merry Saints of I think it's Newark, which is the Sopranos. Newark. Oh, Newark, which is the yeah, the Sopranos movie. I think it's a prequel. Um, so that's coming to binge. I still got to watch the show. It's been. It's been ages. I need to watch it. Coming to Disney. Uh, Disney. We already did Disney. We're talking about Apple TV Plus, uh, which is Luck, a, sun, a Skydance animation that sees the unluckiest person in the world suddenly fall into a literal land of luck. It's very green, Zeke. It's very green. I saw the trailer for this. She must unite with the magical creatures there to turn her luck around. Yeah, it looks... Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a kid's animated film. It looks funky. Good, good for them. And coming to Cinema Suite, we have from the director of Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde, and Hobbs and Shaw, we have Bullet Train, which sees five assassins, including, uh, I think, Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Joey King, and Michael Shannon. I think those might be the five assassins. I could be wrong on that. Um, but they are finding themselves on a fast-moving bullet train from Tokyo before realizing their missions might have something in common. Ooh. Look quirky. I know, it, it's... I don't know. It I, looked quirky. I That's know. I thought it was like a Guy Ritchie fig, but apparently not. So Guy did Deadpool too. We'll see. If that has a forty-five day window, that would that would be nice. <laughs> Get it up on on binge sooner than later. And finally, you got uh, Juniper, which sees a self-destructive teen uh, suspended from school and asked to look after his feisty alcoholic grandmother. And the task, uh, sorry, the task and the bond they build together begins to turn his life around. Nice. That's sweet. Sounds like a sweet little story. Well, it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? The, the film, the one we've already talked about. The film of the week. Oh, the film of the week. So we, oh, we, next we week. Should, we should show. do next week's film of the week. 
Oh, Zeke. What are we watching next week? You've had, you've had a long few weeks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm excited about this. I'm, I mentioned earlier films that we would have covered, you know, a couple of weeks prior to, to doing this podcast because mm. we started just a little late. I feel like this is one of those films, Zeke, and I think the timing is ample considering... We didn't say nope. We didn't say nope. <laughs> we're going to say yes to this option now. Next week on the show, we're watching Get Out. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this this thing? (laughs) (laughs) We hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. smoke in front of my daughter. I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. Are you ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! Bros, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Bros, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Bros! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. Mine. It's a terrible thing to waste. Terrible thing to waste. People are getting nervous. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. A is a terrible thing to waste. Chris, an African-American man, decides to visit his Caucasian girlfriend's parents during a weekend getaway. And although they seem normal at first, he is not prepared to experience the horrors ahead. I've only seen this film once, I think. I've also only seen this film yeah, once. Wow. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I liked it a lot. I liked um, Us, which we covered in the show. Again, way I've back. heard this film. Yeah, I... You know what? I, I'm probably going to have to watch both of those again this week. There we go. Because uh, I really couldn't tell you one way or the other. And I, I know some people are really divisive on it. Some people this really This is Jordan Peele, like. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes. And of course, Nope comes out. I could have swore it was already out. It's still not coming out for another like a week and a half. So uh, now might be a good time to cover the remaining of his filmography with it's Get Out. So weird thinking Jordan Peele's like created these like really like <laughs> thought provoking like entertaining films, 
Adam McKay esque. Yeah, and then you see then you see him on like King and Peel, or you see him like just in any comedy, and he's always yep. playing like a very cringe worthy character, and you're like, how is this? so fascinating? Act- actors are allowed to have opinions too, Zeke. Like he's in the bubble. Oh, <laughs> 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 We're about to watch a film. It they're, was in the bubble. They're, they're allowed to have political opinions, Zeke. Just not while accepting Oscars. Thank you for joining Cinema Sideshow <laughs> Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Get Out.